Like all great podcasts do eventually, we had a bit of a technical hiccup at the first minute or so of the podcast, the audio quality on Philip's microphone is a bit wonky. Not to worry, this gets fixed very fast, and then after the first couple of questions, it goes into its proper audio quality. And so he points at me and he says, hey, there's Volksgeist over there, isn't it Volksgeist? Volksgeist, seemingly out of nowhere, became a force to be reckoned in music journalism and analysis. How does a teenager growing up poor start a YouTube channel that changes the entire course of his life? I am Alex, and this is Genesis. When you meet someone new, and inevitably the question of work comes up, and someone asks you, what's your job? What do you do for a living? What's your go-to answer? I kind of, I make a couple different things up. And it's usually a mix of like online educator or online journalist or video producer, depending on the person. I could say narration, because I, I guess I do narrate things. Animator, I mean, it's a long, it's a long list. <laughs> I usually never, ever, ever say YouTuber though. <laughs> Why not? I think they're going to think I'm friends with James Charles, which in a way I am. Uh, there's like half a degree of separation between us, but that's not the assumption I want people to make most of the time. Fair enough. Okay, starting from the beginning, where were you born? Well, I was born in the U.S. state of Connecticut in a city called New Haven. I was born in the same hospital wing as a former U.S. president, which doesn't really mean anything to most people, but I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cool little bit of trivia, that's for sure. Yeah. How early in your childhood did you start showing an interest for journalism or music? Yeah, so around like four or five years old, I started writing fake news, um, which sounds worse than it is, but I was making little newspapers and just, you know, imagining events to write in them. And I think that's kind of like, it shows where the focus of my work is. It's not necessarily centered around music, or I guess it is centered around music, but I'm more of a journalist who talks about music rather than like a music educator, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Did any of this interest had an influence of what sort of thing that you did in school? What sort of what sort of school kid were you? Well, <laughs> I always failed math and <laughs> I got a decent score on writing, but I didn't like school from the beginning. I think that's another big part of my YouTube channel is being able to like run my own business and control my direction and like focus on what I want to focus on is something that's really important to me. Uh, and I, I did a lot of like electives in high school. So I did philosophy and politics and logic and things like that. And I think I've been trying to show that more in my videos in the past year. And it's definitely benefited me, I think. I like where my audience has been going with that sort of new focus on, you know, philosophical themes and political themes. How early in your life was YouTube a thing as a consumer of content? I didn't really have a lot of good internet access uh, because of family reasons until I was like, 11 or 12. And YouTube wasn't really a thing at that time. I'm 21 now. So like 10 years ago, YouTube was around, but it wasn't the go-to for kids uh, yet. And so I started watching, I think at 12 years old, I started watching Philip DeFranco because I opened YouTube and like that was what was on the homepage. I never really watched, you know, like Minecraft video game stuff. I got more involved in, you know, like uh, the big YouTubers like Philip DeFranco and the Green Brothers and all that. It wasn't very normal to watch YouTube as a 12-year-old, like eight years ago. <laughs> no, no, definitely wasn't. How early in your life 
did it came to you as an idea that you wanted just not to consume content, but actually to create it? What's the genesis of the idea there? I was making videos from the day I found YouTube. I would make oh, wow. channels and, and uh, you know, do little iMovie recordings of a video game and just kind of upload it. Um, I wasn't watching video game YouTube, but I, I was making little video game gameplays because I was 12 and that's all I could do at the time. So I was doing that and I had a channel with 100 subscribers and then I got rid of that one and had another one with 50 and it was just a way to pass the time, I guess. I didn't think I was a real YouTuber or anything like that. What changed? Because you are 21. How old were you when you started your current channel? I was 17 when I started my current channel. and uh, So you were still in high school? Yeah, right? I was. Well, I had just left. I kind of half finished. Well, I didn't finish my last year of high school. I kind of uh, just skipped straight to community college. And I didn't really feel successful in that. Like it was kind of uh, something I didn't really want to do. But I high school was giving me like a bad mental state for the most part. So I went to community college, but it, it's kind of like there's a stigma against that. So I thought I had to do something to prove that I was intelligent. And so I started this blog and I was doing like a postmodern critical analysis of media. And like, there's literally no audience for that at all four years ago. And there's a bit of one now, but like four years ago, it was pretty goofy, especially for a 17 year old to be doing it. And uh, I was like, okay, well, this blog is, it's a blog. So I'm going to do something else. I'm going to turn it into a YouTube channel. And so that's what kind of happened. I didn't really mean to start a YouTube channel in the same way that I had in the past. It kind of just happened. What got you to be two months into community college and suddenly decide to start an online video project? I think at the time, four years ago, or I guess like three and a half years ago, online discourse was shaping up to be what it is now because we had just elected President Trump. And so politics were becoming very online in a way that they hadn't been before. And with it, everything else was going online too, like cultural discussions. It had been, I mean, these things have been going on for like 20 years at this point, but the internet was becoming the main place to discuss culture and politics and ideas. And I mean, I guess it was just becoming the only place. So I wanted to participate in that and become someone. And I just thought that if I went on to YouTube and discussed different cultural topics, I could do that. Of course. Like, it, it hadn't dawned on me until you said it and I started making the mental calculation that you basically came of age while this whole mess was happening. For a lot of us, this is a thing that happened as a continuation of a lot of other things in the past, but for you, this is it. This is what has been happening in your life, which, of course, makes complete sense that it will influence the sort of thing that you will do because you already explained to me how you wanted to participate in that discussion. How do you apply that practically? What was your first video? What was the implementation of that idea in practice? As someone with not a lot of life experience, the one thing I could do at the time was like consume content and consume media. So I figured it would be best to apply real life ideas to media. So my first video was talking about like, uh, I was analyzing some anti-war music from the 70s. And then after that, I did some, I was analyzing some paintings and I went through a lot of different phases of trying to analyze a lot of different things through modern day politics before eventually just settling on modern day music because it's more popular and more people care about it. 
so the, the the focus of music was the result of just trying to find the topic that you could talk to and that people would react to. You So the first few months or so, how, how long did it take you to settle on that after experimentation? Honestly, I didn't put a whole lot of structure into the channel for the first year. And it kind of shows in how poor the numbers were. But I think after around a year and six months, maybe a year and a half, I started to realize that if I stick to one thing, I'll grow consistently instead of just kind of, you know, messing around aimlessly and trying to figure out what would go viral. I could just figure out consistent growth by sticking to one thing. And that ended up being like, pop music and hip-hop. After you, you you settled on that topic and you decided to focus on that, how was your growth and how was the internet's reaction to what you were doing? Well, for a while, the internet's reaction was, <laughs> it was pretty terrible. I mean, I became somewhat of like a cold and calculating person after a year of struggling on YouTube just because of how people could react to me. I think when I finally decided to like stick to a theme though, it went really well because I started to get in with that community and some really popular people gave me support in the first few six months without me asking for it. And so that went, you know, I went from like 5,000 subscribers to 30,000 in four or five months, uh, which kind of like set the ball rolling for now, two years later, I have almost 300,000. Can you mention some of those uh, people that gave you that boost? I'm curious to know the story behind that. Sure. I mean, the big one was Anthony Fantano because he's, I mean, he's the most popular music journalist in the world and he has been for like five years. Hi everyone. Hatthony Hattano here, the internet's busiest music nerd. But he gave me a big shout out on Twitter at a time when he, I mean, he had more engagement then than he does now. And the tweet got something like 5,000 likes, but it resulted in an algorithmic boost that gave me 15,000 subscribers in one weekend. And I think to this day, that's probably like top three, top three weeks I've ever had on my channel, just because, you know, it levels out eventually. Yeah, as it tends to, yeah. Yeah. And eventually, I think I also started to get shout outs from a few, just a few journalists or managers who are in the music industry. And that helped a lot as well with me getting some contacts. And I think I got a lot more recognition than most people would realize. Uh, but also a lot of the names don't really mean much to the general public. A lot of people, when you are mentioned tend to identify you with a very specific visual style which is very present on your videos at least early on to the ones that are still live how did you came to develop that visual identity and did you how did you pick this skills for production i guess this is something i don't think about too much anymore because it's been so long but in addition to my desire to like get in on a discussion and discover like uh journalism when I started the channel. I also wanted to, I was just idolizing a few channels like Captain Christian and Fox. And I wanted to learn how to do those production skills that they have. And so everything I have now, every my style now is entirely, or it was entirely lifted from Vox and Captain Christian about three years ago. At this point, it's evolved to a level where it doesn't really have much in common with them anymore at all. But I will give them like complete credit for just inventing what I do at this point. But regarding the skills specifically, where did you, are you self-thought? Yeah, I was going, to, I was going to community college for political science at the time, and I didn't really know how to use a computer. Uh, so I learned, <laughs> wow. I got like a 13 inch Dell laptop and made my first 
25 videos on that probably until it just kind of burned itself out from how much I was rendering. And so I learned from YouTube tutorials and just experimentation. And then eventually I was able to reach out to the people I was learning from on tutorials and just learn from them directly. So I owe those people a lot, but I haven't ever had any like a formal education with production of any kind. That's impressive. That's incredible. Did you continue through community college or what happened to the side of your life while the channel was taking off? Like I said, I'm, I'm someone who wants to like tell myself what to do. And so it was kind of a blessing that I could justify leaving once I started to make enough money. I did finish about, or I finished about half of a degree. And when it was time to leave the community college and go to a more official school, I just decided not to. I decided I would see what happens if I don't do that. And so far it's worked out. I haven't been not busy in like two years, but I'm thinking about going back eventually just for the joy of learning. You mentioned some of the people that boosted you. Ever since that happened, has your growth, both in terms of numbers and as a creator, been a linear thing? Or has there been any noteworthy moments that boosted your channel along after that? I think so. Yeah. I, I Every so often, an artist will thank me for doing a video about them. Or someone important to the music industry will do a shout out if I cover a specific topic or issue. And so there have been times when particularly famous singers or rappers will give me a tweet or a retweet. And I do appreciate those moments because I will get a few thousand subscribers each time. Well, when Rolling Stone mentioned me, that was important to me as well when I was in the Rolling Stone magazine. But other than that, I think, um, I don't want this to sound wrong. I think in some ways, large publications aren't a fan of what I do because it kind of takes away from, the, from their airspace. And so they might not be a big fan of what's uh, of me being like a one-man team and just getting more views than they do on, on their YouTube channels. <laughs> Tends to happen. It's still early in your creator story, so to speak, but how, how has your life changed after you decided to just dedicate yourself completely to this project? This isn't something I've talked about in the past, but I grew up very poor and I had never left my like home city until I was 17 because I, I just wasn't able to do that. My family didn't have money to go on vacations and travel and sightsee. So I didn't really know much about the world other than through the internet. And uh, now, I mean, I live, I live in a very big city now. I've been to almost every state in the country. I've been overseas thanks to my YouTube channel. And uh, I would say that my life has gone in a direction it would not have ever gone in. And I've gained a sense of like perspective and life experience that I think it would have taken me many years to achieve if I hadn't done this. So I'm very very grateful that I found YouTube, to be honest. Since YouTube or your channel was the breakthrough that sort of enabled you to just open yourself to a very different type of life. I was born in South America, I currently live in Europe, and usually changing the type of life that you lead gives you a lot of very interesting life perspective and lessons. Now, you have the interesting story of, as you say, growing up poor and then being able to achieve a new life through YouTube, through content. What sort of perspective has that journey given you that colors the way you see a lot of things in life? What are some of the lessons that you could carry through and transmit to other people in that process? The number one, I mean, there's a few, but number one would be that possessions are extremely unimportant. And 
I see that most content creators and influencers, even the educational ones like me, like uh, people who are doing camera tutorials or computer tutorials, they have a lot of nice things, but those nice things are business expenses. And you have to live very humble if you want to actually have freedom in life, I think, is the biggest lesson. Like uh, people will watch YouTubers and say, well, this guy has the nicest camera and I want to take photos. So I, I think I should get the nicest camera too. But in reality, my YouTube camera is a very nice camera, but my personal camera that I use for personal projects is the cheapest camera. And it's like uh, two models old. It's like uh, four years old. So I, I've realized that like, this is probably the case for a lot of content creators and influencers. Like when vloggers are using sports cars in their videos, they probably drive an SUV because it suits their needs better when they're not on camera. But in the video, they have their friend's sports car and like it kind of just extends to everything. And I think if I had bought into the influencer myth of pretending to be rich when you're actually not, I would be in a lot of debt. But in reality, I kind of just, you know, I, I wear, I buy clothes from a thrift store and I think it's something that I would have had, I would have been doing anyway if I wasn't a YouTuber, but it allows me a lot more freedom, even though I am a YouTuber. And there's this myth of trying to be rich and luxurious. Since your philosophy to the, the approach to equipment and just to possessions in general makes a lot of sense, I am curious now, how did you find the resources to do your first videos while being so limited? Because to do this sort of animation that you do, it, it usually requires a lot of skill and a decently powerful computer. I think at the time I had a bicycle that I had found on the side of the road. I took that bicycle and I started delivering food in my city. And so I did that every day for about three months. And then I got a pretty base model laptop that I was able to make the first few videos on. If I hadn't done that, I don't think I would have had the motivation to actually start. My computer before that had like two gigabytes of RAM and a dual core processor. So there was no way I was going to be making videos on that. So it was really like the experience of being a bike courier, I guess, that helped me get into YouTube. I'm a, I'm a little bit at a loss of words because I, I now realize, and this is something that I will discuss later, that, that you are probably a really good person to talk to about like low spec editing and low spec production. <laughs> but that's, that's a topic for, for another day. <laughs> Has that perspective of understanding how to get value out of your things affected philosophically the way that you approach your content? I think so, yes. Um, I have a hard drive that I carry around everywhere I go, and it has on it everything that I could ever need to make a video. And if I don't have time to go out and shoot or film or make a set or make an entirely new visual style, I can use that hard drive. It's worth a lot to me. It might be worth a little bit to someone who wants to copy me, but it just has everything on it that I could need to do what I need to do. And other than that, I guess I, I try to reinvent what I do pretty often without investing a bunch of money into traveling or like set design or things like that. Like if I need a new set, I go to the Goodwill or the Salvation Army to buy like some old person's furniture because it's going in the background of the set and no one's ever going to see it other than through the blurry bokeh of the camera. And so a lot of the stuff that I have, I got for next to nothing. 
I mean, I, I get my microphone equipment for off Facebook, so I'll buy that used. And so it, it does really affect how I produce my videos. Yeah. Do you dream of being able to access better equipment? Or if this is a thing that is just so ingrained in the way that you do things right now that it just become part of your identity? I think that it makes me a better creator because I do have, I mean, I'm holding a $400 microphone, but I got it for $300, you know? I'm just trying to scale that idea of frugality and resourcefulness, not necessarily trying to um, stay low budget forever, but more just trying to get the most out of my budget. My editing PC does have 64 gigs of RAM and an eight core CPU. I just got the RAM used. So I do uh, try to keep up with and like increase my resources, just trying to get the best value out of them. And I do think that if you work under your means, I guess, you're going to be more creative because limits are what force ingenuity and progress. There's no real progress to be had if you have all new everything and everything works 100% all the time. Fair enough. I agree. What do you want to achieve in the future? What's the channel? What's the future of your channel in your head? Anything? Are, are you aiming for anything in particular or are you living for the moment right now? I think I'm aiming for a day when my audience will want to hear what I have to say, regardless of whether or not it's about music or the music industry. And so I've been experimenting with like personal narratives in my videos because eventually I'd like to be a documentary filmmaker. And I care a lot about issues of like politics and economics and social problems. And I'd like to cover those things in documentaries. So I've been kind of slowly inserting social discussions and personal narrative into my videos for like the last year, I'd say. How long do you think it will take you to get there? Just out of curiosity. I think that by the end of 2021, I will have a second YouTube channel where I can make whatever I want and get a reliable 20 to 50,000 views on it. And hopefully in the next two years, I'll be pulling 100,000 just off of my own reflections and narratives. That, that, that's, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, it is. With your current experience, after years of doing what you have done, if you could go back in time and give yourself a key piece of experience advice for your creative endeavors, what would that be? I think it would just be to live more. It's hard to make good videos without being confident. And the only way to get confidence is to speak to people that you don't know and not be afraid of strangers and things like that. And I think that's something a lot of young people experience and don't necessarily understand that exposure is the only way to get over that fear of putting yourself in front of a large audience. It's also, it's not that bad at the end of the day. It's a lot less bad than I thought it would be. One one more thing that I just keep thinking back to, it's where did you, your your knowledge of music come from? Because you seem to have not only like a very deep understanding of the industry, but of the of the whole ecosystem. But for someone that is young, like where did all that fascination and research came from? Like wh- where do you acquire the corpus of knowledge? I think I've been lucky enough over time to talk to a lot of people who work in the music industry. And it's something that I think probably a lot of my viewers don't realize is that I'm friends with a lot of managers and producers and artists that are pretty high up in the industry. So when I want to know something, I'll often just ask someone who's involved in that situation personally. And besides that, I've just discuss- I've had a lot of discussions with musicians and 
a lot of discussions with other music journalists. As much as the big music publications don't work with me, uh, I have talked with many different journalists individually. And so I've just kind of got this like word of mouth dictionary in my head, I guess. How did you came to build such a strong network? I think it's just a matter of creating a, a polished product that has to do with a specific industry. And people who work in that industry who want their work and their passion to be better publicized will reach out to you and thank you for publicizing the things that they care about and the things that they work on. So when I made my video about TikTok, one of the biggest artists on TikTok reached out to me and said thank you. And I ended up going to California to talk with him and we made an entire documentary together, uh, which was great for me. It was my first time making a documentary with an artist and it was great for him. It promoted his album. Well, going back to like two and a half, three years ago, when I made a video uh, about Anthony Fantano and like um, quantifying his opinions into numbers, that was what made him give me a shout out. I kind of just did this long shot hoping that he would see it, even though I only had 5,000 subscribers. And he ended up seeing it. And he basically made my career happen off that. So I've been doing that ever since, just kind of covering certain things and hoping that the people involved will appreciate it. That was the lesson, wasn't it? Like you, you realize that if you make it of a certain level of quality, you could get to the person it's based on. So you will just started using that as a networking tool. That's, that's fascinating. That's, that's fantastic. You have to play your cards right, because I have friends who are much better editors than me, and they are much better writers than me, but they take too long. And so they end up missing the window a lot of the time because they're not publishing fast enough. And that's not a bad thing, because I wish I could be as attentive as them. But at the same time, I'm willing to kind of just throw something out there if it's only 90% done, because no one's really going to know except me, but it will come out much sooner and it will have more of an impact. And so the production to payoff ratio is something that you have to kind of get a feel for over time, for sure. Will your younger self be very surprised at finding out just how involved you are with the industry right now? I think so. I think it's kind of shocking. The first time I realized that uh, I had reached a new level was when I was with my dad and we were getting lunch in New York City. And I got a call from a manager who is very, very, very high up in the industry. And he asked if I wanted to go out to the studio with him and his artists. And I had to tell my dad that I would see him later because I had to go to the studio to hang out with some Grammy Award nominated artists for the next couple hours. And that was when I realized that like, uh, I had turned a new page and I could actually use my channel to leverage different resources, I guess, and like get somewhere if I wanted to get somewhere. Well, uh, this has been this has been fascinating. Any before closing up, any interesting stories from your time in YouTube that you think are worth sharing to the world? I've had a few interesting things. I think the strangest ones are I don't know when people recognize you at concerts. I I was at a concert one time and I was just waiting in line and it was a really really long line. There was another YouTuber there and he was like five places ahead of me in line and there were people just mobbing him and you know he wasn't in the mood for it i think at that moment and so he points at me and he says hey 
there's Volksgeist over there, isn't it? Volksgeist? And then as everyone turns their head to say, hey, that's Volksgeist, he runs away and like hides <laughs> in the crowd. And then I'm just stuck with these guys who are like, hey, Volksgeist, hey, Volksgeist. And, but that's, um, I don't want to sound self-important. That literally only happens at music events. I have never been, I've been noticed once outside of a music event. It, it's not going to, it doesn't happen on the daily or on the weekly or on the yearly. Oh, but that was a funny story, I think. And I later became friends with that guy and learned that we actually both went to the same middle school or elementary school or something like that. And and also became a creator? Wow. The, <laughs> yeah. He, weirdly small world. Yeah, he has a lot more subscribers than I do, so I'll say that. Thank you so much for doing this. It has been fascinating. Well, thank you. It's been a really good time for me, too. I appreciate it a lot. <laughs> <laughs>